So Lord, we do, we set ourselves before you, before your word, we set ourselves. We're asking God that you'd pierce us through, pierce us through, pierce us through. Let the word bear upon us. Abba, I pray you'd speak with every line of scripture. Speak. We love you. We want to tremble before you. We want to tremble before you. Thank you, Lord. Good. We're going to go ahead and roll into this um, message. I, you know, we're going to preach on uh, the bridal paradigm. We're in part two of a series. And uh, at, during the worship tonight, I was just... I was uh, there over there pacing and just praying and singing. and <clears throat> You know, I started getting butterflies in my stomach. Uh, like you might if you were going to meet somebody very important. Do you know? Like if I told you, hey, I want to introduce you to my friend. His name is George Bush. <laughs> you know, you might, you might be freaked out a little bit and have butterflies. And, um, and me too, because I don't know George Bush. But... Uh, I was there and I was just imagining what it's going to look like because they were singing, you know, it's all about a wedding. There's going to be a wedding and, and we, you know, we're going we're gonna to be married to the Lamb. And they were singing those truths. And all of a sudden, I just started getting the sensation of in a minute, in a minute, we're going to be part of this thing called the great cloud of witnesses. We're going to be part of this thing called the bride of Christ and there is going to be a ceremony in just a second that the father the eternal father is going to have a ceremony where we are united with Jesus it's called the marriage supper of the lamb and I just started getting this real serious butterfly feeling like in a minute i'm gonna meet jesus and be joined with him forever i'm already promised to him forever but in a minute this one who is absolutely fiery and passionate love for me i am going to really be his for the taking in just a second and i started getting nervous how many of you that are married, you remember that little feeling you had before you walked down the aisle or before you walked out to the front with the, with the pastor or whatever? And you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm about to get married. I had that happening to me, and, but it was way bigger. Like, I'm going to marry God. Like, for real. This isn't a fun little story. I'm going to be united with deity. United with deity. We have any comprehension of where this thing is going. And I mean, sensations of love and sensations of terror were moving in me simultaneously, and they were manifesting as butterflies. It was like, oh my goodness, this is really going to happen. This isn't just a good story. You know, it's just interesting to me because I can go along, and this is how I am, 
And I can go along, and the scriptures, I mean, I can preach the thing, I can read the thing, and then all of a sudden, it'll, something will click, and I go, no, that thing is real. Like, that's really going to happen. There's a real day coming called, the bride has made herself ready. Let us be glad and rejoice, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. That's a real day coming. We're going to be joined with God. I mean, joined with God. Where's it going to go after that? It can only get more interesting. For sure. It's kind of weird, you know. I can remember being 25 and thinking, I don't really want anything this world can give me. I'm kind of, you know, over it. Like, a million bucks, fame, fortune, popularity, you know, I mean, name it. All the, all the, you know, sinful pleasures. It's like, there's really nothing this world can give me. I don't want any of it. I remember being just messed up when I was about 26 and a half, 27. Just being messed up over just wanting God and don't, and don't want anything else. And in a, in a second, we're going to be married to him. Some of you that are a little older than me, you're going to be there with them before me. That's a little scary. You're going to be with God. (sighs) I mean, this thing is real, beloved. We, I mean, I, I know I don't live like it's real all the time, and I don't think we cooperatively live like this thing is real, but this is real. We're going to look at God in the face and live forever, forever. I started getting the real sensations of trepidation and, and, and terror about what that means to look in the face of the one who is eternal. He's eternal. He's from forever. He's from forever. No beginning. We are going to be joined to him. I mean, if I told you tonight you're going to meet an angel for real, it's going to show up in your bedroom, you'd have some sensations of trembling. But what I'm telling you is in a, in a moment's notice, I mean, it might be 30, 40 years, you're going to be with God, and then there's going to be this you know, time that's coming. You're going to marry him. You'll be joined with God forever. The marriage of the Lamb. Oh, the things of this earth. Boy, they lose their luster quickly in the light of the glory. What's, how's that song go? I'm just sort of paraphrasing. In the light of the glory of his you know, face, the, the beauty of him. It's, and it's not just quoting a song. It's 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. But it's the, the glory of the Lord that emanates from the, the face of Christ Jesus. When we get a glimpse of that, we just get a moment of that. It's like... Nothing else can touch it. What will you offer? All the earth, all the world, all the enemy can offer are things that are fading and they're ending. They have an end to them. They will not continue. They're all temporal. Everything the enemy can offer degrades. It only lasts a moment. And we're going to marry 
We're going to be joined in intimacy. Let's, if, you know, if you're stumbling over the word, word Mary, I mean, God uses it, but that's fine. But let me just break it out. You're going to be joined in intimate union, intimate union without any shame with God forever. That is scary and wonderful and terrifying and fabulous. Oh, do we know this God that wants us this way? This is not, I mean, Christianity is not a system of belief. It's not a a moral structure. It's not to be compared with any other religious system in the earth. The other supposed gods, they are nothing. We are going to join, we're going to be joined with the one who is infinite. I'm trying to feel that feeling of what that thing, what's that going to be like in the day when I'm no longer in control? He says, Billy, come here. And I have to step before that one. He says, enter in. And I mean, he's going to move. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're going to be moving on the holy conveyor belt. It's not like you just get to that place and go, nah, I'm not really interested in it today. No, he, he goes, no, you're in with me forever. What's it going to be like when he is the one governing in perfection 100% of our existence and it's exactly what we want. Every longing and craving of our heart since the moment we've breathed will be fulfilled when we come into unison with him. We, we come out of the womb, and we've got cravings, longings, and desires. They're, they're external, they're internal. They're all moving. They're calling to us and saying, you need, you want. There's something you're aching and longing for. And the more we traverse in this life, the more we find out there's nothing in this life that we're actually looking for. And in that moment, everything we've ever looked for, everything we've ever longed for, all the desires, all the deep aches, the cravings, they get fulfilled. We're going to marry God. We're going to marry God. This is terrifying. And beautiful. Rejoice and be glad, he says. Rejoice and be glad. I don't think you and I comprehend the the levels of ecstasy we're going to enter into in that day. What's it going to feel like to no longer have any kind of a craving because you are overwhelmed, you are satiated and overflowing with every longing your heart has ever desired. It's overflowing from God. It's going to be a good day. Let's look at Genesis 1. I want to talk about the bridal paradigm. I want to talk about this mentality of the kingdom in which we see the kingdom of God. We see the scriptures through this lens that identifies these truths that I've been just talking about. Where we actually see the whole picture, the way that God has designed it, that we would see it uh, 
in this lens that God our, is our husband. Our maker is our husband. Isaiah 54 declares it. Our maker is our husband. And that gives us the uh, lens to look through the, the entire rest of the scripture that changes so much of the way that we perceive what this book is even about. When you understand that God is a lover, that our maker is our husband, then you fully comprehend the trials that Israel went through throughout the whole Old Testament. He is, he is the most zealous, jealous lover ever. Ever. He does not cut covenant lightly. He's not cheap. He's not tawdry in the way that he comes and says, hey, I want you. He's not doing that in a, in a real light way. He does it in a way that is eternal and that is brewing from the depths of his heart. And he is serious. It's with full significance. When he makes covenant. And so he doesn't just allow Israel just to serve demons and think it's okay and start over with someone else. He cuts covenant forever. And so when we get this lens of this, this burning God of, of passion and desire, and we apply it to the scripture, I mean, it's almost like the whole story comes into focus in a brand new way. And so in Genesis 1, here we are, we're working on the, I guess we're on the fourth day of creation, or the fifth day, let's see, which one are we on? Permanent living things? Yeah, fourth or fifth, let's, we'll, let's read it. We'll find out which one. Verse 20. God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves and with which the waters abounded according to their kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning, and it was the fifth day. Verse 24. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts, the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so, and God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that was good. And God said, let's make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So the fifth and sixth days, those were pretty big days. He goes birds, he goes fish, and then he goes, every creature on the earth. In the days preceding, he creates uh, trees and herbs and all the uh, seed-producing fruits. And, and all those, are they all reproduce after their kind. And the day preceding that, he creates earth. Or he actually he creates the, the sun, the moon, the stars. The day preceding that, he creates earth. And I was thinking about the, the being a front row spectator on the days that God decided to create can you imagine the angels are with God who knows how many 
I mean, it's, it's, it's eternal, so who knows the amount of time it was. But they've been created, and they're on the scene, and they're with God. Who knows how long it was that they were just enjoying God. You have this angelic rebellion at the hands of Lucifer. And that all happens. And then the day comes, and the angels are, you know, we, we, we've, you know the, 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 the ones that are still in their heavenly positions, they're thinking, we've chosen rightly, we're on the good team. Lucifer, those guys, they chose badly, they're on the bad team. And the day comes, and they're worshiping God. They're experiencing bliss and beauty. I mean, just amazing. The living creatures, I mean, they, holy, 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 all day, all night. And the day comes, and the eternal one begins to make things. And the angels get to watch it. God says, let there be light. And the angels watch light explode. Spiritual light, natural light. He creates light. I mean, what an amazing display of power. The angels are watching this. Then the next day, he makes, he makes the firmament and the earth, and he separates the water, and he pulls the dry land, and he says, it's earth. The angels are watching the pattern of creation. God is making stuff. I mean, what are the side angelic conversations like? I mean, you know, just, they're in awe. The creator is doing what he does. He's creating, and they're, they're getting to watch it. Front row seats. Oh, the splendor of that. I mean, the glory of that. The creator is creating. And he makes the planet. And he separates the waters. And he creates a firmament. And he calls the planet Earth, the dry ground Earth. And he makes great seas. And the angels are watching this. And God says every time, this is good. And I tell you, there is bliss and ecstasy rolling through the ranks of the angelic. And watching the creator do what he does best. Then God creates light in the atmosphere. He creates the universe. And all of a sudden, something comes into focus for the angels. They go, now wait a minute, he just made earth. Now he's making more planets. Huh. That was the first one, and now he's made all these other ones. And he makes sun, and now he's making all these other lights in the sky. Huh. And what they're beginning to realize is this, that for everything that God is creating, he's creating a prototype and an archetype. He's creating the, the, the master or the original, and then he's making copies. And then he goes ahead and he begins to create animals. He creates birds and fish. And he sets these birds and fish up so that they will reproduce after their own kind. And the angels are watching it. They're watching how this thing plays out. They're going, I bet there's going to be more fish. I mean, the first fish, he, God forms it. And, and I, you know, the angels are working it. Because the Bible says angels long to look into things. They're curious. They're not sitting back going, yeah, I don't really care. God's over there creating. I'm just kind of over here, you know. Just brushing my wings. You know, I mean, they're, they're like, they're locked in. They're going, this is God and he's making stuff. And they know this is coming it's coming to a, a powerful conclusion. And, and whether they know this God who is love, 
I think they probably did. I think they probably knew that this God who is love is going to create the ultimate object of his affection at the end of this. They're watching God move. He, and they, he makes the first fish, and after they saw what he did with the, with the plants and, the, and, the, and, the, and, and creating those, and, and God makes the first fish, I, I bet the angels put it together. They go, the, the, the plants are after their own kind. They've got seeds that produce after their own kind. I bet he's going to make another fish just like that one. And God does. And God begins to make prototype, archetype, fish all over. They're teeming in the ocean. And then God goes, birds. And he makes prototype, archetype. He makes the master and the copy. And, and the angels are watching this. They're going, I know how this works. He makes one, and then he, which is the original one, and he's making that one so it can reproduce others. Look at that. Prototype, archetype. This is so cool. And God makes land animals. And the angels go, I bet I know what's going to happen. Prototype, archetype. He's going to make a form, and then he's going to make a copy. And bang, cows, dogs, whatever, aardvarks. <laughs> he makes prototype, archetype. And the angels go, I knew it. Insects, prototype, archetype. And he makes all these creatures, and they're all created to reproduce after their own kind. That's just another way to say it. Prototype and the archetype. And then, God creates Adam out of the dust. And he breathes life into him. And I believe the angels are realizing this thing is coming to a crescendo. And they're, they're, they're going, hey, hey, I bet he's going to create. There it is. There's the prototype. He, he's going to make one out of him. And then, he get, then he gives, God gives Adam this job. And we found out last week that it lasted at least two and a half years. He's got to name everybody. I think the angels are looking at this going, what is going on? He made the trees. And he gave them seeds, prototype, archetype. He made the plants, fruit. Gave them seeds, prototype, archetypes, so they could reproduce. He made the birds, the fish, the animals, the insects. He made prototypes and archetypes. Where is the archetype? Where is the copy of this prototype, this man? And the whole time they're perceiving the amazing burnings of the God who is love itself and his love is divinely aimed at Adam and they are sensing something in the eternal realm they've never sensed before. The longing of God's heart to love is being lavished out upon this one. And the angels are trying to do the math. This is a, you know, maybe the angels weren't but it's just a good story the way it tells. Maybe you and I would be doing it. They look, and it, all of a sudden it dawns on them. Wait a minute. That guy, he's not the prototype. He's the archetype. God made him after himself. The master created one in his own image you were not some copy of some broken down thing you are 
the archetype of the prototype. And the prototype is God himself. And the angels look at that, and it makes total sense why God loves Adam so much. Because Adam is created in the image of the uncreated. And God gives us the taste of this. He gives us the taste of it in creation. It's called having babies. He allows us to carry babies inside of us for a season to touch delight and love and pleasure for the one that we haven't even seen yet. Why? Because it speaks of the reality of God in the days of creation where God is carrying Adam in his heart. When he's making sun, when he's making light, he's thinking of Adam. When he's making land, he's thinking of Adam. When he's making stars and he's making a beautiful sky, he's thinking of Adam. When he's making fruit and trees, he's thinking Adam. When he's making animals and fish and birds and insects, prototype, archetype, God is thinking, I can't wait! To make the archetype that I'm the prototype for. And he gives us childbearing so that we can touch it just a little bit. We get to touch it just a little bit. I started thinking about this whole scenario of the way your affections are moved for the child that's in the womb before you even see his face. And the, the way the passions of the heart are moved. And I started realizing there's so much more to comprehend about God if we just look at ourselves and our state. Not our fallenness, but our makeup. And the reason why is we have been made in His image. And the things that are working in us, there's so many things he's woven into us. He's woven them into us. Why? To testify of himself. He created man in his own image. His own image. And so when we look at our makeup, we find out volumes of information about God. For instance, our emotions. God gives us emotions... Not so that we can run around our whole life being led around by our emotions. He gives us emotions to testify of himself. See, we have a hard time picturing God as emotional. Because we know what we're like when we're emotional. We have a hard time imagining somebody being intensely emotional and still being stable. Isn't that right? I mean, it's almost difficult for us to imagine anybody could be really, really emotional and be balanced. And so what we've equated to somebody who's balanced is somebody who's unemotional. And the really emotional person 
instable, unstable, and unbalanced. But the truth is this. God gave us emotions to testify of the truth of who he is. He's intensely emotional. He is emotional in everything that he does. Everything he does, he does with feelings. He does it with something that's moving his heart. He doesn't do it as a stoic God. When we've believed that he's stoic, we've, we've created an image uh, of him that's not true. It's a hollow image that's not the true representation of who he is. He's got emotions. He's joyful. I mean, he is wonderful. He's happy. He's glad. And simultaneously, he carries emotions that we would deem to be negative. He has anger in him. And somebody goes, well, don't make God mad. I want to propose to you. It's impossible to, quote, unquote, make him mad. You can't make him mad because he's not moody. What do I mean by that? I mean, he has the emotion of anger, he's got the emotion of mercy. He's got the emotion of love, and he's got the you know, thing going of justice. He's got them all moving in him, but they're not, they don't swing back and forth in God, you know, based on what he ate for breakfast that morning. He's got it all going, but it's on ten, all at the same time. That's right. We have emotions because he wanted to tell us about his heart. He wanted to tell us about his passions. He wanted to teach us of himself. He has all these attributes, all these emotions, all these things flowing through him. And while they differ in our mind, he's got them all moving through, through him without contradiction in any way. He's perfect in stability and 100% emotional. It's our God. He gave us emotions to tell us of himself. He gave us longings, desires. We're created in the image of God, and he gave us desires. Why? To testify of himself. I believe the greatest longing that the the human heart experiences is the longing to be loved. The longing to be loved. We want to be loved. We want it, and we want it with liberty and in abandonment. We want it as high and, 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 and as deep as we can get it. We want real love, and we want it with no strings attached. Let my heart soar in this which I was created for. I was created for love. And the earth, the people in the earth, they run around all day, all, all night, looking everywhere for that which their heart is craving for. They're craving for love. Somebody love me. Somebody love me. Somebody love me. And they are running headlong into all sorts of things that never satisfy their heart. Their longings for love. See, I'm not freaked out about the guy that's the crack addict. 
The reason why is because I understand that crack addict, he's longing for pleasure, and that pleasure is, is crying out to him from inside of me. He wants pleasure so bad, he's going hardcore into something that'll kill him. But the reason why he's going hardcore into that is because he's been misfocused. He's looking for love. The greatest pleasure there is. And so we have this longing to be loved. Why? Two reasons. It proclaims if we are made in his image and his likeness and the image and likeness of God, it proclaims a truth about what he's longing for. Could it be that God longs to be loved? Absolutely. Absolutely. Our God longs for love. He wants love. He wants voluntary abandonment and intimacy lavished on him without force. See, that's why he does this thing called free will. If he demanded you to love and you had no choice in it, well, it really wouldn't be love now, would it? It'd be control. Instead, He allures you and draws you and gives you evidence and convicts your heart that you're longing for love, but you're you're finding it in sin. You're, You're trying to find it in sin, and that's not good for you. He does this to your heart and draws you and allures you into relationship. Why? Because he wants to share in love. The longing that you have for love in your heart is only a reflection of the truth of his heart. He's longing to be loved. Have you comprehended the tenderness, the tenderness of the God that desires love? He desires love. What's that God like? He's tenderly desiring love. And see, I say this, that we're created longing for love for a second reason. We are created longing for love because God is love. And it testifies of the number one manifestation of his heart toward anything that he's created, love. So he creates the design in us that we would long for the number one thing that he manifests, Love. We are in love with a God who longs to be loved and longs to give love. The design of our heart testifies of the truth of who He is. He's a God, tender, longing for love and affection, and moving in burning passion, longing to give love and affection. The construct of our heart declares the truth of that. I was thinking about this whole thing about the longing to give love. And I was taking inventory of my heart and looking at people. People want to love. They do. Go to any football game right now and watch the people love the guy that's carrying a piece of leather. He's carrying it. He carries it 10 yards and everybody loves him. 10 yards and we'll love you. 
And the crowd, will, they will love him. They will lavish him with worship and praise and love and adulation. They will love him for carrying a piece of leather. Known as a pig skin. And if he gets it across the goal line, we really love you now. And if you did that to make our team win, <laughs> we love you. What is going on? Everybody wants to give love. We give it in all sorts of misappropriated, misfocused ways. You know what I realize? If we don't give love, we live bottled up and bitter. We, we begin to putrefy. That means rot. We begin to stink. Because we are made to receive love and to give love. To give love. To give love away. You know that feeling of bliss? That amazing feeling you had when you helped that person that one time. You didn't tell anybody. You helped them just because you loved them. You just wanted to help. You just wanted to love. There was a longing in you to give love. And that bliss and that beauty that you felt on the inside, you're created to give love. Where do you think the prototype of that sensation comes from? God. When God gives love to you, it's going, I love this. God loves to love. You know how I know? Because you love to love. And I found out this, that if we don't love, if we don't give love, if we are not lavish in giving love, and we do it through giving and serving. I mean, we do it through all sorts of different ways, but it just turns out to be like giving and serving. If I give you affirmation, I'm giving love. If I serve you and I do something as as a blessing to you, I'm giving love. John said, he goes, don't let us love only in word, but let us love in deed and in truth. There's this serving and giving thing where we actually extend ourselves for someone else and we're giving love. That, that thing of giving love, giving affirmation, giving affection, you know, doing the thing for that person that they couldn't do for themselves, that thing, I, it causes our heart to come alive. It causes our heart to soar. We live open, and, and there's, a, there's a flow through us in that place. But when we hold that back, hold back giving love, and we do it for a couple reasons, mainly because it's risky to give love. You ever know somebody their whole life, they wouldn't extend themselves because they were afraid if they extend themselves, it would never be reciprocated? So they live their whole life looking out for number one. Can I tell you, that American lie, look out for number one because no one else will, that is a deception from the pit of hell, and it's designed to keep your heart bound and putrefying in love. See, because when love isn't given, it's not love. It's like manna. If you keep it all to yourself, it rots. So we're created to give love. And a lot of times we don't give love because we're trying to play it safe. We don't want to risk. We think that the most satisfying thing in this life will be to look out for number one, and it's a lie. Because you were created to give love away. And you know how I know that'll be the most satisfying thing for you? Because you were created in the image of God, who is love. He is probably the most unloved, but he gives more love than anyone. He's always giving love. He's not love the noun. He's love the verb. God is the action of love. 
So here we are. We've got this creator who is the prototype of who we are. He's emotional, burning with passions. He's longing for love. He's longing for intimacy. He's longing to give love. And he's got us. And he's given us this this, uh, father-son metaphor that speaks of the truth of our intimate connection to him. Now, the thing that's unique about God the Father and God the Son is they are not a father and son that grows apart. They are a father and son that are together. Totally different than our natural uh, metaphor of father and son. We, we have father and son in the earth, father and daughter in the earth, because it's speaking of God and us. That's why we have that. He gives us the baby that we would carry because it's speaking of how he carried Adam. And he gives us the child because that's who we are to him. We're creating his image and likeness, so it's always testifying of him. But the unique thing with us is this. As we grow up, father and child grow apart a little bit. Early, they're really dependent. The child is really dependent on the father, on the, on the mother. They're really dependent on the parents. But as they grow up, they grow apart. The unique thing about the Father God and the Son God is they don't ever grow apart because the Father's in the Son and the Son is in the Father. So God gives us this whole other bit of language. You're wondering when I was going to get to the bridal paradigm and I'm getting there now. To explain what he's really thinking about in intimacy. And it's the husband-wife. See, because when husbands and wives, when they get married, the two become one. They're not separate, they're one. And this craving for love that God has, he illustrates it in the husband and wife mystery. No longer are they two, but they become one. Flip over to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, I'm going to land this right now, Paul speaking, he's quoting Genesis 2, you remember Adam, he said, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, they shall be joined, and they'll become one flesh, Paul speaking by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5, he interprets what that whole thing was about. He tells us why God gave Adam Eve. And he explains it right here. Verse 30, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, Be joined to his wife, and the two shall become 
one. This is a great mystery, but I'm speaking about Christ and the church. I love that last phrase. Paul goes, I know you think I'm actually giving a marriage talk right now. He goes, I'm giving you a Jesus and his bride talk. He goes, I know it's a mystery. He goes, but that thing that Adam said right when he was created, what that was, was God's answer for the longing that's in God's heart. It's God's resolution so that he could be united with the archetype. God pulls us out of himself creates us in his image and likeness and says it's a father-son relationship and gives us Jesus and the Father as, a, as an image of what God wants to be like with us. But he says, you know what? It really isn't exactly your mentality of father-son. In fact, the more clear picture that God is taking this thing to is husband and wife. And he, as the prototype, he wants to be joined in unison with the archetype. That's why he gives us marriage. That's why he gives us the picture of Adam and Eve. Can you comprehend the God who wants to marry you? He's longing, desiring to be intimate, joined in unity with you. He doesn't give us the bridal metaphor because it's a nice picture. He gives it because it's the closest human relationship he can draw t- uh, as an example and he can point to to declare of his intentions for you. God wants to be joined to you. God wants to marry you. He wants to be united with you. He doesn't delight in being separated from you. He delights. In fact, it's the day of the gladness of his heart. He delights in musing and contemplating on the day that you and him are going to be together forever. And I am, I am struck over the awesome fear, the beauty and the terror of the day when I stand before him and I'm united with God, the finite, the finite being joined with the infinite. I mean, it's going to be scary enough when this mortal puts on immortality. But that happens first. And then we're joined to him forever. This must go into our soul. The truth of this must go into our soul. It will change 100% of the way that we live every single day of our lives if we comprehend this, that there is gonna be a wedding. There's gonna be a wedding. The God who created you in his image and likeness, it's not okay with him that you and him live apart. He doesn't just want a father and child relationship to be the only metaphor that you think of. He wants the eternal union to be what's burning in your heart because it's what's burning in his heart. He wants to be joined with you forever.
That's why he says it in Hosea. He goes, I'll betroth you to me, and it's going to be forever. Forever. That's where we're going, beloved. That's where this thing is going. There is an ocean of desire. I want you to hear me. There is an ocean of desire in the heart of God. And it will not be satisfied until you and him are one. Until you and him are one. Good, let's just stand. Change the way we think, God. Change the way we think. Let us see that this is about a wedding. We're going to be united with him. Our mortal will put on immortality. We will all be changed. And there's a day of gladness that's burning in you. It's the day that we're joined with you forever. I want to live every day of my life in light of this truth. That you're longing for my affections. God is jealous for you. He is longing for your affections. Burn it in us, God. The truth of the passions of your heart. Create in your own image, in your own likeness, and not left alone to do whatever. But we are on a crash course, a collision course, with full disclosure of the divine, full disclosure of the infinite one. Behold your maker, he's your husband. Your maker, he's your husband. 